We're born into our names, but we become family by heart. During my wife and my journey through infertility, foster care, and a recent adoption, we searched for and relied on a lot of help. If you're on a similar journey, then this podcast is for you. Or maybe you're curious about the process or looking to support someone on their journey. We got you covered. Each episode has a story to inspire and or resources to turn to. We're all family here. This is Family by Heart. What's up, family? Welcome to another episode of Family by Heart. I'm very excited to have my first guest of 2023 of Ooh. season two of Family by Heart. And it is uh, Mr. Ryan Smith, who is the author of a book, Finally, an Infertility Book for Dudes. Um, and Ryan, I'm, I'm excited to have you. One reason is last night on my social media, like the Facebook flashbacks, it was actually a flashback to my wife and I um, in the midst of all our infertility. It was, she mm -hmm. had posted a picture of two books that we had her at the time, what to expect when you're not expecting and what he can expect when she's not expecting. And I don't okay. know if you're familiar with those books, but uh, they're huge like back in the day. But right now there seems to be this, kind of, I don't want to say research, but a surgence of an awareness of men that are, kind of speaking up about their position in the infertility journey. So I'm really excited to have you here and talk to you about your experience, your book, and how you've been uh, helping bring awareness and bring change to um, all the things you do. So Ryan, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Dustin. Yeah, appreciate you having me. And, you know, thank you for all the work you're doing and sharing your story as well. Kind of where this whole thing starts is all of us opening up and sharing what we've gone through. And it's important work. And uh, that's interesting with the books, because that's kind of where, where this started, too. When uh, when me and my wife were trying to get pregnant, all the, the baby books appeared on my nightstand. The Dude, you're going to be a dad and you're going to be a rad dad. What to expect and all these books. And then, um, you know, when we had the trouble. It was like, where's the books now that I can relate to? Where's where's the laid back, easy read for the guys that are going through this? And it's like, it's not there. So that's kind of exactly where uh, the idea for finally an infertility book for dudes came from. So that's pretty cool to hear. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. And and the one I had uh, that I mentioned, um, what he can expect when she's not expecting it, it was it was actually a really good book. Um, and it really broke things down and to some simpler terminology and some sports terminology and, and had assistance of like a, a doctor, fertility doctor um, at the end of each chapter. And, and what I saw with your book is that um, towards the end of each chop chapter, it had your wife's perspective in it. Exactly. And, and that was, that was awesome to see that even though it's for dudes, it also gives that wife perspective, which I think is huge going through that because, um, we there's times where husbands and wives we wear emotions on our sleeves and then there's times where we kind of keep things bottled up and i think i know for my wife and i when we first started facing our infertility my wealth my wife felt like she couldn't really support me in the way that i needed because she was trying to get through things herself and yep. i'm sure it's kind of vice versa it's like i thought i was being there for my wife and and there's probably ways that are missed. So I think the importance of not only having your perspective, like a, a guy's perspective for all men to relate to and read about, but also the fact that you were able to have your wife come on board and, and give her a perspective. I think that's probably a huge dynamic. 
Yeah, I mean, I wanted her to, she didn't have to agree with what I said that chapter. She may have felt differently and that that's fine, but there's that line of communication. Um, you know, I wanted it to be relatable. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a regular guy that went through this, just kind of sharing my knowledge. And I can't speak to what it's like to be on, you know, hormone medication. Um, I can't speak mm-hmm. to what it's like to be in that in that room with my legs up in the air, getting these random tests done to me. So I was like, how am I going to have my wife here, who's this wealth of knowledge on this stuff, um, not be part of the book and not explain what she's feeling, especially if a guy can read it and be like, hey, this sounds a lot like, you know, what my partner's going through. So I think it was important just to give her um, a chance to give some feedback at the end of each chapter. And a, a lot of people have um, have said that. So um, I'm glad it's working. And yeah, her perspective at the end of every chapter, just to kind of give us some feedback on what they're thinking and hopefully help people strengthen their relationship throughout this. And that's, and that's a huge part for me why I started this podcast um, was because, you know, our, our journey is a little bit different than yours and, and you'll be able to obviously tell your your full story and everything, but, um, no, we didn't go through all the fertility treatments. They basically told us, um, that chances of us having a baby were less than 5%. And mm-hmm. because of my wife's cancer history, like in her family, they didn't advise us doing any kind of fertility treatments because it would just shoot her cancer risk through the roof, especially if they were unsuccessful. And, um, it, it was just tough going through my experience, like being on my side of things, but also knowing her side of things, like knowing that she had always wanted to be able to carry a baby. She knew that she yep. could be a mom and carry it and, and carry it to term and go through giving birth and all the things that are obviously difficult for a woman to do, but um, are also so many women relate as their identity. Um, it's, they're supposed to be a mom. They're supposed to give birth. They're supposed to procreate. And, and here she is like feeling like she lost part of the identity. And then as a man who a husband, where we, our goal is to support our wives, but not only support, but guys stereotypically, we're always trying to be fixers. We're always trying to solve the problem. And the fact that we, I couldn't solve the problem for her. I couldn't fix what was wrong. And, and, um, just knowing that my side of the journey of the infertility part and then my side of the journey and being becoming a foster parent and then adopt a parent. It's just one where I think much like you and Keegan Prue and the author of IVF dad, and then Steve Miller, who is the host of the miles podcast. Like, I think it's just so important that we're seeing more and more of men's voices just kind of rise up and share experience to let other guys know it's okay to feel these things and okay to talk about what you're experiencing. And even if you can't support your wife, know that there's support for not, not, not support your wife, but <laughs> yeah, cause obviously you're supporting your wife, but when you feel like you're giving all you can, but you need that assistance from her or, or somebody and she can mm-hmm. give it to you like the way you want, like my wife said, she didn't feel like she could give to me that there are outlets for you to go to. 
Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's important that you say that, you know, our, our stories may be different and everyone's story is going to be a little different, but there's still useful things we can take from each other as far as supporting each other, the importance of communication. There's these themes that, you know, our, our story may not be exactly the same, um, but there's things we can take from each other and from these conversations on how to get through this, how to be the best partner you can be, how to support each other, how to communicate, um, research, all these, all these different things. So, you know, building a family is different for everybody. And I think that's important. I like to start a lot of my conversations off by saying that, that, you know, this is, this is my perspective of me with, you know, my wife and what we went through. And that's all I can speak from, but hopefully people in other family dynamics, family setups, people that have other stories and other problems they may have experienced can take something from it. Um, even if it isn't exactly the same story or problems that we've had. So I think that's an important note to, uh, to start off with. Absolutely. Now, uh, looking, doing a little research on you, I saw that you're, you're a guy's guy, you're a fantasy football fan and, and you get into sports, golf and different things. Um, what's something about you that people would maybe be surprised to know about something that you're, you enjoy doing that you're into that maybe not a lot of people know about, but would be kind of surprising. Hmm. Surprising fact about me. That's an, that's an interesting one. What do I like? You know, I like, I like fashion. I like style. I like looking good. So I think that's not something that I talk about often in the book. Um, I like taking care of my lawn. I like getting out there. I like gardening, doing things like that with my wife, seeing things grow, which is an interesting comparison to what we have going here and growing families and things like that. So um, i trying to think of other hobbies I got besides, you know, golf and sports, I guess are kind of, are kind of my main go-to as far as, as far as stress relievers, but you know, walking the dog is, is a great thing. Anything, anything outdoors basically is kind of, is kind of my main, uh, crux of what I like to do. So, um, you know, talking about the sports things is a lot of stuff that guys can relate to. Um, so that's something mm-hmm. that I found, I found helpful to kind of make those analogies with, with certain people and to get people to open up. So that's kind of a tactic I used throughout my book. And when I have these conversations. Nice. Awesome. Um, how's your fantasy football team do this year or, or uh, teams if you're a guy that's in multiple uh, leagues? Oh, come on, man. We had to bring this up. <laughs> hey, I'd say it because I, I had a down year myself. I rode Aaron Rodgers way too long. I I kept waiting for him to have that explosive week and it just just never came. And, and so I, yeah. I missed the playoffs um, and I'm in a dynasty football league where, you know, you keep the same team every year and stuff that's been ongoing. And, uh, you know, I've had a really good team, uh, got a, got a buy the first, the last three years and I just haven't been able to win, win it. So it's been an ongoing joke that, you know, I, I get to the playoffs, I win the regular season, I lose every year and we, uh, we lost again this year. So, uh, Devontae Adams did not come through in week 16 for me. So it is, it is what it is. It is what it is. But, um, but yeah, they, they didn't end well this year, unfortunately, but Hey, that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes. <laughs> yep. I, uh, I wasn't able to defend my championship. I won last year and my dad won the year before that. So cool. we had, we were kind of keeping it in the championship and the family. And then both of us just had a down year. And, and so I love that. How it works. I, love that what happens. I love that dad's involved though. I love when the, when the family's involved, everyone's into it. And look, you know, it's, it's fun. It's an outlet and it's, it's a great way to connect with friends still. I mean, that's the, the main Absolutely. purpose of it all, but you know, I'll be a, I'll, I'd be lying if I said it didn't bother me sometimes when, uh, when I fall asleep at night, that the team didn't win. <laughs> Well, you know, I've been uh, been a Browns fan all my life, and oh, that's how I that's how I usually got through football seasons. Like, well, Browns pretty much blew it after week six, so I, yep. I guess I'll just focus on fantasy football. So that's how I was survived. But now, after <laughs> a, a, a controversial decision 
that they made yeah. this offseason. Uh, I'm not even a Browns fan anymore. They finally did enough okay. to make me jump off, jump off ship. So I'm a but. Jets fan, and I mention uh, I'm a Jets fan. And I mentioned Zach Wilson in the book. So um, there's there's a sentence in there talking about I forget what I was talking about, but you know I mentioned Zach Wilson, and I, was, I write how you know it'll be interesting to see how this ages um, with the book and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see, but I don't think it's aging too well. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the nice thing about Amazon. You could always do like rewrites, right? Yeah, you can, can update yeah, it. Yeah, and... yeah, it'll be it'll be version two up there with you know updated updated uh, literature as part of it, and people will be wondering what's changed, and it'll just be that Zach Wilson line that I changed to get it out of there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, so um, let's go ahead and dive into your story. Uh, how it, your your fertility and fer- your fertility struggle and fertility story. Um, how it got to you writing the book, writing the book and kind of where you guys are now and everything. Sure. Yeah. I guess I'll, I'll start by telling our story and then I can kind of jump into the book after. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, we started trying to get pregnant around 30, like so many uh, other people, you know, we were ready and, um, we experienced infertility for like four or five years. Um, we did six months of trying unsuccessfully. Um, you know, of course seems so easy for others. We, we weren't really prepared for it. We were healthy. We didn't think we'd have any problems. And, uh, if you know, me and my wife were planners, we like everything to a plan timed out. So this wasn't, you know, jiving well with us. So wasn't something we anticipated. Um, so we did that for six months and then, um, we started looking into, you know, fertility treatment. And as you probably know, a fertility clinic typically won't see you unless there's an underlying cause, which it sounds like, um, you guys may have experienced, they won't see you before a year, um, depending on your age and things like that. So, um, we started our own research and, um, we started, I actually got tested through my, uh, my sperm tested through my normal general practitioner. So we got that done, um, you know, doing timed intercourse, all the, all that stuff and just disappointment after disappointment every month. And eventually we got into the fertility clinic. Um, wife got her tests, everything came back normal. And, um, you know, that's when we got the diagnosis of unexplained infertility, kind of that cure all for so many people. Um, which is, is good and bad. You know, we were happy. We didn't have any major issues that were apparent from the start. But again, with our personalities, we like to attack a problem and we weren't given, we weren't given the problem to attack. So, um, everyone was super confident, you know, you're healthy, you're young, it's going to work. It just takes time. We started with IUIs, which, um, people may not know is just a, a way of inseminating. Basically you give your sperm sample day of, depending on her ovulation calendar, she may be taking hormones with that or not to, uh, you know, pr- promote pregnancy. Um, and then you give your sample and they basically inseminate her, your, your partner with a catheter, um, to get the sperm where it needs to be and hopefully conception. We did five of those, um, unsuccessfully. Um, I was kind of in denial at that point, honestly, uh, everyone's saying you're young, all this stuff. Um, it, again, it's going to work and, and it didn't. So that's when the jump to IVF started. And that's when there was a, a big shift for me. Um, you know, things are changing with your day to day, your timeline, your wife, the amount of pain she has to go through medication. Um, IVF is a whole nother animal. And, and on top of that, financially, you know, it's a huge commitment that you're making. So uh, we went to IVF. Um, we had five healthy embryos the first round. Uh, first we had a miscarriage. We transplanted the next two, implanted the next two. Um, they didn't, they didn't, uh, implant. Um, so then my wife, we had two left, um, underwent a laparoscopic surgery, uh, to check for endometriosis. Um, basically they go through your belly button and they found pretty severe, um, endometriosis and removed it and burned it and whatever they had to do to get that out. Um, so that was another three or four month recovery. Um, unfortunately, endometriosis can only be diagnosed visually, which was something that drove me crazy with all the imaging and technology we have and testing. They had to go into her physically to find it. So 
Um, that was gone. The last two eggs were implanted, another miscarriage, um, onto our second round of IVF. Uh, and that's when uh, we got four eggs that time, four embryos that time that were healthy. And um, the first one implanted and took, and we're very lucky um, that we now have a four month old daughter um, that came from that second round of, of IVF. So um, nice. that was successful. And yeah, this was a course over the, over the course of four to five years. Uh, and then if, yeah, you want me to, to kind of jump into the book, the book came along in the middle of all this. Um, it wasn't after, like a lot of people wrote, it was actually after that first round of IVF failed. She had gone through the surgery that I mentioned. Um, the last two uh, embryos that we had um, ended in miscarriage. It was July 4th, a few years ago, uh, that weekend that we found out. We had a party that weekend. We found out on like the 3rd that, um, that she had had a miscarriage. And it was it was just a dark time, honestly. It was like, wow, we have to go all the way back to the start, there was always that hope of, you know, you have these extra eggs, you're good, but going back to the retrieval process, having to start all that over was just daunting. So, um, the book kind of started as, as, as just a pet project for me. I, I mentioned it to my wife and she was like, you should do it. And it was honestly an outlet for me. Again, I didn't find much support at this time. Um, I was supporting my wife and not really doing things for myself. So kind of writing our story, waking up on Saturday at 6 a.m. and just writing for a couple hours, I found super helpful and then researching things and dropping, um, again, some of these some of these analogies to sports in there was really an outlet for me. So that was the goal of it all to make it um, relatable for people. And that's that's when it started. And it took about a year to write and then going through the whole process of, um, you know, finding someone to work with to uh, get it edited and to get um, the cover art created and get it published on Amazon was um, was another, you know, five or six months, but, um, that's where it came from. And it was really a great outlet for me. And then here we are now. So it's crazy to think about where we were a year and a half ago. Nice. Um, well, congratulations on the baby. What's, uh, what's your little girl's name? Uh, Adeline, Adeline Hudson Smith. Yeah. I'm from, we're living on the uh, West coast. So we're, uh, we're from, from the East coast and we, uh, we went to college on the Hudson river. So we dropped Hudson as her middle name, a little ode to the East coast. So yeah, Adeline Hudson Smith. Nice. Beautiful name. Beautiful name. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Absolutely. So uh, one thing you mentioned um, early on is that your uh, you had your sperm count tested and everything mm -hmm. and, and seemed to be fine, um, which then obviously kind of in ways puts the pressure on your wife. And yeah. I recall kind of the same thing with us, like we got tested. Um, I got tested first and we got our results the same day. And this is, um, you also mentioned, um, depending on your age, you know, how soon like a uh, fertility clinic will see and stuff. So we were in our mid thirties at that point. And so we got tested after six months of trying. So basically our heading into our seventh month of marriage is when we got our results, found out that my okay. sperm count was fine, but it was yeah. um, more on, on her side of things. And, so again, we didn't go through all the fertility treatments, but um, it. How did you feel when you when you found out that you were fine and essentially everything was going to be put kind of on your wife? Because as I mentioned, you were uh, in parts of it, you were kind of in denial about like it, it being a problem and stuff. But knowing that your wife was now going to be undertaking getting all the shots, hormones, um, all the different things, like how yeah. did you react to? Oh, well, I'm fine. Like, you know, it's, she's got to go through it all and, and we'll be fine. Everyone's positive, maybe a little toxic positive, but you guys will be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. And then here she is getting pumped with all this stuff and probably going through a whole, 
you know, kind of swing of, of different emotions and, and one just because of the process itself and also probably the hormones that she's going to put in. She was probably going through a battering ram of, of emotional swings. So what, what was that experience like for you? Toxic positivity. I like that line. That's a good line. I should use that. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. You know, I, I say in the book, it's like uh, you're just on the sidelines of the football game. I, I say that I like to think of myself as like the SEC strength and conditioning coach, the huge jacked guy on the sideline, holding, even though I'm not even though I'm not in good shape. But trying to hold back the coach is kind of like <laughs> what, what you are. You're just hanging out on the sidelines. And um, I've talked about this before, but looking back, I was I was not a great partner to start. It's not I'm. I'm a very even keel guy. It's hard to get me real high or real low. So I just kind of, like you said, toxic positivity, like, Hey, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. This is, this is um, all going to work out. Like, you know, there's no major problems. We're good. And I I wish I was different from the start because um, again, I was in the clear and that's nothing. You don't want to play the blame game. You know, people that play the blame game or make any comments about that is absolutely horrible. Um, But for me, it was, um, really being there for her was the problem at first. This was before COVID. So she was going to a lot of her, um, a lot of her meetings and infertility doing her calls during lunch from work and things like that. So I was really separate from it. Um, and it almost felt like it was her project, which was horrible to say Mm. looking back that it was like the thing that she was working on. And it's kind of natural because she's the one calling the clinic to set appointments. Um, she started dealing with insurance companies. Um, she was picking up drugs from the pharmacy. Um, she was scheduling all the appointments. So, um, and she was, she was going to them. I was making as many as I could, but I should have been making more. So it was, it was hard for me in the beginning to not, to, to really be in it with her and looking back, um, that's something I, I wish I would have changed, that I would have been there researching, um, making a call to the clinic. Um, even checking in is like the littlest thing of, hey, you know, there's an appointment at lunch today. I know you have a busy day of work, but, you know, she's going in at 12 noon. Make sure you text her at 1155 and just say, hey, let me know what's going on. I'm here. That little that little thing of following up right after the meeting just to get the update of, hey, how did that test go today um, is so is so important. So, yeah, it was it was difficult for me in the beginning to fully be invested one because it, it felt like her project and she was dealing with a lot of it and I wasn't doing enough to, to be there for her. And then on the other side, the toxic positivity that you talked about of just being like, Hey, this is all going to work out. It's just a little delayed. Like um, my alarm bells aren't going off when, like you said, her alarm bells are probably going off because it's her body. It's, you know, I'm, I'm in the clear. So she's probably feeling some way about it. Um, and that's something I wasn't aware of. And for, you know, guys that may be starting their journey, just, just think about that really do a better job of putting yourself in their, in their shoes um, when you're dealing with it. Now, as you look back on it, you talk about kind of a little regret that you didn't, you weren't just supportive in the beginning. Um, did you, as you started to realize that, did you start to have uh, feelings of guilt and have a difficult time processing that guilt? And how did you process it? And kind of like, was it just through your writing or did you at any point, did you and your wife go through any kind of uh, counseling, either like grief counseling, counseling in general, couples counseling? Like mm-hmm. what did you do to kind of process that? that grief maybe in, in addition to uh, journaling and writing your book? Yeah, it never, it never got to that point that we had to, to go to therapy. And I, I think it did 
my wife's a pretty straight shooter. She'll tell me how it is when, when there's a problem or something like that. So she did take it on. It was more of me internally feeling guilty about it and, and not helping her more and being like, wow, I should have, I should have been there for her more. So I think it was just a change for me. Um, a, a little bit of guilt, but nothing that fully affected our relationship. But obviously communication is, is the biggest thing. This whole stressor of anything that people are going through um, related to this is just complete stress. So I can think of uh, numerous conversations we had where um, we like to call them real, real talk where we go and it's you're sitting down and you're being real with the person. This is actually how I feel. It's, it's so easy just to go through the day to day and not actually talk about what you're feeling. So, um, you know, not asking some communication things that I, I've thought about is, you know, not asking leading questions. You're asking leading questions because you want the answer, a certain answer and you're pushing someone that way. I'm asking open-ended questions. How do you feel about this? You know, what if this procedure doesn't work? You know, what, what are your thoughts without me saying, well, well, then we would just do another round, right? And, you know, leading them to that answer that I want them to hear. So um, we had a couple conversations where it was open and she's like, hey, I need you more involved in this. You know, I'm calling the clinic every day. Sometimes I need you to make the call. Um, I need you to be here when we're talking to the doctor about this. Um, so advocating for her kind of became a big thing for me as we moved into IVF. Um, she would get sick from uh, from a lot of the anesthesia um, and a lot of the from the different procedures she had. She just has an adverse reaction to, to anesthesia. She gets sick. Um, there were some procedures they said, you know, you'd have like a half hour recovery. She'd be there for like two, two and a half hours, just thrown up and dizzy. Um and a lot of the, the places sometimes wouldn't believe it. like, oh, you're fine. We'll give you the little thing that you put under your ear and we'll do this and, you, and you'll be good and stuff. And it's like, it's like, no, you're not listening to her. Like we've done this before. She was sick for hours. Like, what can we do? And then they would put something in the IV strand, whatever it is. I'm not a doctor, um, but they would make it better. So um, advocating for her and just and just that communication is kind of is kind of what we did did to solve it. But the guilt wasn't luckily she didn't put the guilt on me, um, but it was just kind of a personal guilt of let's make this right. And um, we never got the therapy, but that's not saying that's not right for people. Um, something we did do. We did do um, naturopath, the doctor, um, which is kind of like therapy. She ended up going, it's very Portland, uh, very new age. Um, so she ended up going and you, you have a therapy session in the beginning of that where you talk with the doctor and you do have 20 minutes to just talk about life, your stressors. They do um, nutritional counseling. So they would give you supplements if you're having trouble sleeping or you're getting tired during the day or losing weight, whatever it is. So we go into that and it would finish with acupuncture. Um, so that's the only form of therapy we did. It was separate, um, but it gave us a chance to talk about it and um, acupuncture is shown to help fertility as well so it was great to end with that and just a chance to relax so um luckily our relationship didn't get to that point where it needed it but if it does just just go head on because this is a huge stress in people's lives mm -hmm. absolutely yeah we we went through uh grief counseling ourselves and even For with sure. that um we still had our moments of denial like well you know even though they said it they there's still a chance and being believers were like, you know, there's no reason God would put this desire in us to be parents and, and not allow it to happen. Like, why would you do that to us? So we, you know, continue to try, obviously, and, um, and just had our time of denial and grief and denial and grief and just kind of cycled through those. And then um, just finally got to a point where it was kind of more acceptance for us that, okay, maybe this isn't going to happen. Um, did you guys ever get to a point in the span of your story? I, I believe you said it was like around a, a five-year story. Did you got in some of your real talk conversations you have, did you start um, looking at 
possibilities of not having biological children? Do you start looking into possibly fostering, adopting, or or surrogacy, or any of the other ways? Like, where were you guys in and all that? Was there ever a point where you're about to, you felt like you were maybe going to hit acceptance that it was going to yeah. happen? That was um. It's funny. That's where my book ends, basically. So I had we the book ends. Um, I was writing it again in between IV, IVF cycles, and it ends with us, you know, deciding to do another IVF cycle. But starting to think about that, it's I think it's literally the second to last paragraph of the book is me thinking like, you know, what if this doesn't work? Um, we were just at getting at that point with with the until the second um, round of IVF come, and we we never we had brief conversations about it, knowing like, hey, surrogacy, egg donor, um, fostering, adopting, you know, is other options, but it's nothing that we ever. Um, fully researched. And I, I don't know what the conversation would have been, would have been, honestly, I don't know. Um, I don't know how she would have felt about that. I've never really thought about my, my full feelings around it. Cause it felt like it was for us that we had put so much into the fertility treatment. It felt like it was giving up on that. And that's not a great thing to say that it felt like it was giving up on Katie carrying our natural child, which of course most people want. Um, but there are these other options and they're great options. They're a way to build a family. Um, but it's something that we never, got to and had a conversation about, but we were literally right on that verge um, of it happening. So yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about, but we, we didn't quite get there. I'd be interested to hear what the, what that conversation was like for you guys and how, um, what, was it difficult? Was it, was it easy to say, Hey, we want to adopt and help, you know, help another child, even if they're not biological, you know, we're still a family. What was, what was that conversation and kind of your thought process going through? Cause that's something I haven't experienced. Yeah. Um, so for us, um, again, I think part of it for my wife, believing that she always wanted to carry, um, carry baby to term knowing she could yeah. give birth and stuff. And, and I think a big part of it for her was that, um, because her younger sister had a baby during, during that time and stuff. And mm. she, and seeing how the baby looked like um, relatives of hers. And so then she started thinking about like, well, maybe if we did surrogacy, like there's a possibility of, of my genes being in the baby and stuff, but it wouldn't have her. So she would, so feeling like there was, there'd be a disconnect there. So we, that led to us kind of canceling out surrogacy um, in that sense. And then um, we had talked to couples that, that actually we start out looking at adoption and we talked to a couple that did adopt. And, um, at that point, my wife was kind of against it. Okay. And part of the reason being was if you go through, especially if you go through like an agency, when it comes to adoption, um, you are thinking about the fact that how many kids are out there in the world like that are in the foster system or, don't or orphans to their parents. And when it comes to adopting a baby through that, that way you could have be called to the hospital. Okay. Here's the baby. It's in the other room, but before you can, we'll give you the baby. You have to sign us a five figure check. You're okay. looking at at least $10,000. So my wife was looking at more like, well, so we basically have to buy a baby. Yeah. Now the given you look at the money that you guys spent on your IVF cycles, you 
kind of had to do that yourself. Like the, the cost that it goes through, like you're having to pay for that. So, but I, I understood where she was at, um, with the fact that I was buying a baby and, and I didn't like that. And the fact that my wife worked in ministry and, um, I've kind of bounced around in, in different careers, kind of depending on what our, what our needs were kind of playing the, the role of the family man to step it in and help it out how I can, um, working in personal training was kind of my field and, and personal training coaching was what I was into at the time. Um, so after kind of ruling out surrogacy and adoption, um, we had kind of got to a point where we settled on, okay, it's just going to be you and me. It's like, I'm okay with it. I, you know, we'll be okay. In the midst of all that, there were, there were a few times where there were those, and I'm sure it was difficult for you and Katie, where you heard those pregnancy announcements from other friends and family members and stuff. And even though you were happy for them, it was still devastating to you. Mm -hmm. And so we had some of those moments where some of those pregnancy announcements, some, some of these couples that were having their second child or third child while we were in the middle of not being able to have one. And there was a, there was a point where she reacted in such a strong way where she, um, she locked herself in the bathroom and was just crying and controlled me. And when I finally got her to come out of the bathroom, she then like kind of cornered herself. She put herself in a corner, wouldn't let me put her hands out, wouldn't let me come near her. And she basically was trying to tell me that I can leave the marriage that because we said on, as early as our second date that we both had to have kids. She told me, I can't give you that. You can go. Mm -hmm. I won't blame you. I won't be mad at you. Like I won't let my mom be mad at you. Like I won't like I'll make sure everyone knows that you did nothing wrong. You go ahead, go. And I told her at that point, I'm like, no, like even though that early time in their second date, I said that kids were non negotiable. The moment I said I do in front of our families, in front of our friends, in front of God. I said, I do to you, not to a family, but I said, I do to you. And I say, I do to you again every day. So at, at, the, at that point, we reached acceptance where it's going to be just us. But then our church was very involved with uh, the foster system. There's a program we have um, that our church is involved in every year called Rural Family Kids Camp, where we take kids in the foster community to camp for a week and just okay. love on them, give them unconditional love. doesn't matter if these kids are swearing and try hitting people or whatever. It's just like, Sorry, sorry. Like you know, when you're ready to talk, we're here for you. It's just an amazing program, and so we went and volunteered at it for like a couple of days, and we just saw such a need for foster parents for these kids. And some of the stories we heard were just tragic. So we said, "Well, we bought our house with the intention of having kids. We have extra rooms in our house." With again, with my coaching, my life coaching, certification, everything like we thought, well, maybe we open our house to these, to a kid and walk alongside of the parents as they're trying to get their life together, exactly. trying to figure out what, whatever's going wrong with them. And so we started out fostering with no intent to adopt at all, you know, cause when you go into foster care, the goal is reunification, um, for the child to go back to the parents or to some part of their extended family. So we had no intention of adopting and 
little did we know that it was our second, just our second placement. Uh, and then his little brother that came later on, we had no idea that we were going to end up adopting them and that they were going to okay. be our kids, but it was, it was an amazing journey. And that's a whole nother story. I spent, I feel like I spent a lot of time just telling that bit of it, but I mean, it's, it, it, it's a lot of conversations, a lot of even going through the foster process and rooting for the family to, to yeah, kind yeah. of correct whatever's going on yeah. in their life. And to suddenly you get to a point where it's like, this is my child. Like I, you know, I want them to be with me and stuff. I yep. want to be with me. And, and, and like, even when you go through the foster process, when you first are starting the classes, there's forms you have to fill out. And at the beginning you have uh foster kinship and foster to adopt. And you're supposed to check Mark those boxes. And we originally did not check Mark foster to adopt. Gotcha. And they came back to us and said to us like, um, you might want to like mark the box off. And in our minds, we didn't mark that off because we didn't want to get to a point where we were rooting against the parents. The parents yeah. We, we, we wanted to make sure that we didn't have conflicting beliefs. And then they said to us, well, here's the thing. You're going to end up falling in love with these kids, which we did. And if all the stars align where they're not able to go back to their families, if you don't check mark this box, you're going to have to go through these 40 hours of classes again. Okay. And like, oh, okay. So we Check reluctantly, like we checked the box and then again, little we know our second placement um, and his brother and would end up being our, our two boys. And, and uh, actually this, this Friday is our one year anniversary of our adoption. So. Amazing. I mean, that's a, it's a great story and just goes to show all the dynamics behind it between, you know, talking about, like you said, the surrogacy and, and your wife and being your genes, but not hers and just the mental effect that can have. And um, again, we didn't get there, but it sounds like um, what I took from that is just being exposed to it, interviewing adoptive couples, interviewing, um, you know, people mm -hmm. that have gone through surrogacy or fostering um, is kind of a great start to see if, if it is for you. And, you know, sometimes things work out like you, like you didn't expect. So, um, that's, that's pretty amazing though, that things worked out that way and look where you are now a year later. That's, uh, that's amazing. So congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, and, and ex it's exactly what you're saying again, uh, finding those interviews to do the people that are in your circle of influence, your circle of life that yep. you might not realize have experienced and gone through it until you're in the middle of yourself and, and being able to have those resources, those people to turn to. And again, that's why I love that you wrote this book and that you're doing these interviews and you're, and you're putting out there and Keegan Prue and, and, and Steve. Yep. And, and then again, why I started this podcast, because this is to help people in that fertility struggle journey, but also experiencing foster care, experiencing adoption and, and kind of the, the things that come up with that. Um, especially the way that families blend and everything. And, and also, you know, bringing light to families that maybe, decide to be child free, you know, someone that decides yep. their, their fur babies are their babies and stuff like, yep. you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, you said earlier, like there's so many different family dynamics. And so I just wanted to be a resource for people on any stage of that journey and be able to help them in any way that I could 
couldn't do that. So and understanding that your partner, you know, again, having these, these conversations <clears throat> with them and just understand that you may view things one way and they may view it another way. And if you're going to be a good partner and have that, that partnership that lasts, you have to really be open to understanding it. You know, during during <clears throat> your surrogacy conversation, I'm not saying this happened, but you may have been like, this is a home run. This is what we're doing. This makes the most sense. And then, you know, being there to understand that, you know, she feels differently. How do we solve this? How do we move on? So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. just, just being there, being a good listener and being open to different ideas and really creating that partnership with, with your partners, how you're going to get through it. And and there's going to be, you know, just kind of ups and downs on that journey as, as well, as well as like spinning in different directions where you might not think that that was ever going to be part of it. Like when we were on that acceptance part of our journey, where it was going to be two of us, we actually started off one year where we went on a trip to Disney the two of okay. us just to start the year off on like a positive note. And there we were accepting it's going to be two of us. So we're walking around Disney and you see those parents that are just exhausted with their kids screaming and crying. And, yep. and, and you just see that deflated look on their faces. Like, Oh, this is supposed to be fun. Like, Oh my gosh. And, and we just would look at each other and give each other a high five and stuff. And, and now here we are like taking our kids into a grocery store or reluctant on where we want to take the kids just because we know like those meltdowns can happen and and we want to avoid that we want to avoid that look and and knowing that other people are are giving you that look now like oh my gosh like get a get a handle on your kids and stuff like yeah except for the fact that you think that's what other people are thinking but most of the time you find out that the other people are thinking, Oh, I've been there. I've been there. I know what yep. you're experiencing. You're going to be okay. And so those yep. kind people that actually step up and say like, you're doing great. Don't worry. This happens. It's part of it. You'll get through it. You'll survive. For sure. Disney, <laughs> an interesting, an interesting place to go with the, after the acceptance and stuff that must've been, uh, you know, with all the kids around and stuff he said. So that's a, that's a interesting place to try and navigate that and, and deal with the acceptance and be around that. But <laughs> like you're saying, you know, so, so many kids going crazy and then kids being happy. So there's a lot of emotions, I'm sure, behind that trip. Yeah, it, it was because, you know, you have throughout it all. And I'm sure during your your guys' five years where you would, I know Keegan mentioned it when I talked to him in my interview last year, that there were times where he would be at the grocery store, turn down the aisle, and he'd see a, a dad and a little kid talking stuff. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, oh, I can't do it. I got to turn around and walk mm-hmm. and, and then and go a different direction because you just don't mm-hmm. want to. Face of it. So there we were just putting it right in front of us with these parents and these kids and seeing them get their pictures with yeah. the princesses and all that. And, and it's like, you know what? We're we're gonna be kids at heart too. And so we want to get our pictures with uh the princesses and everything. And you know, my wife is a big uh Little Mermaid fan, so she wanted her picture yeah. with Ariel and everything, and so it was so it was a lot of fun. And and then I had all the princesses who were saying to my wife, Oh, is this your prince? Is this yep. a prince? I'm like, oh, yep. Okay. So I got called a prince for a week. So that's pretty cool. Like, <laughs> Sounds like you guys had the right mindset and getting, you know, getting past those triggers. And again, you're on your kind of your acceptance journey. So you, you have to, you yeah. have to move on at that point. And you made the decision on what it was going to be. So that's, you know, that's impressive yeah. that you guys, which goes to show how strong your guys' relationship is. So that's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now you've mentioned, you've thrown out uh, some terms here. Um, IUIs, IVF. Mm-hmm. endometriosis, um, all those different things. And you said it was in the middle of the IVF is when you started kind of writing your book. But before that, your wife was kind of on on the project herself and everything. Yeah. Did you start learning those terms, IUIs, IVF, 
at once you started writing the book or was it as you and your wife were going through it and that's your being more su- supportive because like you said there was early on you didn't feel like you were supportive as you could have been mm-hmm. so what point did you start learning all those those terms both both definitely learned more about them writing the book obviously i wanted to <clears> give <throat> some background and some um, su- some substance and scientific background on the different topics but um and this is some of the pitfalls that I hope guys can avoid too, is that, you know, we, we did our basic research, our top line things, but we, we didn't research everything enough. And it leads to disappointment um, because we had, I mean, I can give a couple of examples. So we had the HSG, um, which is a, a test in the beginning to see if their, uh, if their uterus is intact, if their tubes, they put dye through, make sure everything can run correctly. Um, my wife was going in for that and we didn't really do much research. The doctor was making it seem like it was going to be a quick, easy thing. Um, I had a busy day at work. I didn't go with my wife to the appointment. She went in. Um, she was going to go back to work after. It was supposed to be this easy thing. And then um, she ended up having terrible pain from it. Um, it was way longer recovery. She had to drive home crying um, and take the rest of the day off. Um, we didn't do our research on it. And that a lot of people actually do find it super painful. Um, so that was part of it. Like, okay, wow, we weren't prepared for that. And then something else I always talk about is um, embryo grading when you do IVF. Um, you often have your embryos sent for um, genetic testing if you so choose. Some people do, some people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll send you back grades that um, an embryologist, literally, it's up to them, depending on the size of the mass, the internal and, out, um, and external structure. There's two structures in the embryo. Um, the size of it, how well the, how compacted the cells are. So it's um, a number and then two letters. So it could be 4BB, um, 5A plus, B minus, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and we had no idea what these numbers meant. I'll, I'll never forget the doctor calling and she's like, given the rundown of all the embryos that we had created, the, you know, six we had left and we're writing them down and, and we had no idea. And then we went and kind of did the research on it and we looked up and the numbers to us didn't seem great from what we were reading quickly. Mm-hmm. And my, my wife's crying and we're like, oh my God, these are horrible. It's not going to work, this, that, and the other. And then we ended up, you know, talking to some friends and kind of looking more into it and they're like, don't worry about that. Those are subjective grades from one embryologist. Like all of these, all these four graded um, embryos are, are actually what what have worked for me in the past. My kid was a this and that. It's not the end of the world. So it was part of kind of setting expectations. Um, and we we didn't we didn't look into it enough. It came as things as things happen. I know Keegan is big on research. That was one of his big things was that he dove in right away and kind of almost over researched. He went too far and. Mm-hmm that two in the weeds with it, which you can easily do. Um, so yeah, we were, we were kind of the opposite, just going through and it comes back to that toxic pos- positivity, which I'm stealing, um, that everything <laughs> is going to be fine. We're good. And then once we got to the IVF portion of it all is when, you know, I feel like we were doing the proper amount of research, what's happening. Things seem so much bigger. We were in the big leagues now, as I like to say. So, um, we were, we were researching better at that point, but Again, set those expectations throughout IVF. Know your know your case. Know the odds. Know what's happening because there was so many times we were getting a positive update, but it seemed negative to us, and we had an unnecessary yeah. heartbreak. We, um, you know, we got twenty two eggs the first time we did the retrieval, and then um, there's an IVF attrition rate where you know this many eggs are expected to survive to this day, and then this many are expected to be inseminated. This many are expected to get to the freezing stage. Um, they call you every day and they're like, Hey, you had 22 eggs. Now there's 14, um, you know, out of those 14, um, eight inseminated, uh, out of those eight, uh, you know, this many made it to day, t- uh, day three. And you're like, what is happening? This is horrible. Everything's disappearing when actually it was a positive. We were like beating the IVF attrition rate. We were beating the odds of what was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. With all these eggs. And 
again, just weren't prepared and were there crying when actually it was a good update. So um, research is important and I, I wish I did more of it beforehand. Um, but once IBF came around, I really dove into it. So it sounds like uh, you you guys were doing a little bit of a Dr. Google yourself where you were yeah. kind of looking at things. And so that's where you're seeing in the negative where, again, it sounded like your doctors were being more uh, maybe very to the point, but also trying to be a little bit more positive. Yep. And then you had your friends that were telling you, well, no, this is you know what it was for us. Do Are there any um, resources that you suggest people that are just in the beginning stages look at and go to, to avoid being Dr. Google or going into the weeds like uh, Keegan mm -hmm. did? Um, is there some certain uh, sites or books or anything that you recommend to kind of keep that, that baseline a little more level versus being too high, too low? Yeah. I mean, I don't have a, a specific site or anything like that. And look, doctors, doctors are great. I mean, they, you know, they're knowledgeable, but they're people too. And not every, everyone looks at things differently. They're not a hundred percent correct every single time. And, you know, there's things that our doctor recommended as well. Like, Hey, I think we should do this. You're the patient. If you're not comfortable with that, if you read something and you want to do this procedure instead, or you want to move forward with testing this, there was things my wife brought to our doctor was saying, Hey, you know, I heard about this from a friend. Why don't, why don't we try that and doing a scratch before um, to test before we're doing the, the implantation for the next um, frozen embryo transferred. So, um, for us, all the research was was definitely Google, looking through things. I mean, for people that are just starting, if you grab the book, there's stuff that you can go through that you'll see a certain experience and you can try and connect with, shoot me a note, and maybe if I have some knowledge, I'll share it. But for us, it was all friends that had gone through it that we eventually connected with. For my wife, it was she found a couple friends um, from, from our college days that had, that had gone through it that eventually we had no idea. And eventually you connect, you post something on Instagram about it, and it's amazing all the people that are like, hey, I went through this too. And it's like, wow, really? Um, and eventually she found a group called Fertility Rally, which is a support group for women. Um where they go and talk about their um, every week they have a meeting and they're just able to share their stories and um, they're amazing. They go, they sit there, you share your story and everyone gives feedback of, Hey, I experienced this. I know about this. Let me shoot you a, a link on this. Um, and that's where she kind of, kind of found her research through there. And um, they're also there to support each other. So that was a huge resource for us was, um, was her joining there. And then, yeah, it was just kind of research on our own, asking around and just trying to find as many personal experiences as we could. Um, Cause again, you can kind of find research pushing people in multiple directions if you really searched a lot of times. So it's kind of getting through and being comfortable with, with what the two of you think as a couple and what your plan is. And then, you know, bringing your doctor into that. Nice. Um, now you just mentioned uh, fertility rally for, for women. I've seen mm -hmm. that you uh, have through your Instagram, you've kind of had a, a men's support group as well to kind of link up and talk everything. Is there um, one, if you want to share kind of that, the name of that group and any kind of times at the meet, but also uh, between any of the support groups that you've been a part of, is there any like, one or two ideas that um, were were given in those support groups that really stuck out to you of like, oh my gosh, I never thought of that like that's something I absolutely need mm -hmm. to do to support my wife or or your wife thinks that you need to do or 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 something like what are like a couple ideas that for someone just starting on this journey and just starting to face their fertility struggles that um, they should kind of carry with them as they move forward. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, as far as guys, I haven't found a, it's harder for us guys to open up. Those are definitely those, those stereotypes. So, um, you know, a lot of the stuff I've done is just kind of personal conversations with people going back and forth, bouncing ideas off each other, you know, conversations like this that you have with someone again, that's going through something similar. Um, but a couple from, from the fertility rally rally group, I, I've walked by a couple of times when my wife has, she usually likes to go do her meetings, but I, I walked by once and, um, I walked by and she was talking with someone and someone was sharing their story and um, the woman was going through a hard time, whatever, bad news that week. And she was just going on about how she was so sick of her husband being a fixer. She was like, I'm so sick of him right now, giving me all this advice and our next plan and how we're going to do this and it's all going to be okay. She's like, I literally just want him to sit on the couch and cry with me. I know it's going to be okay. We're going to survive this. It's going to be fine. But I literally want him to get in the muck with me. And I was like, walking, and I was like, wow, that it, it just, it just hit me. Cause I was like, I always have a plan. Cool. Well, this is not cool, but this egg transfer network. Well, this is what we got next. Like, well, let's go on to this. We'll be okay. It's another month. We're still young. It's fine. We're this, that, and the other. And it's like, wow, you can't you just sit here and just cry and be sad for a little bit. And again, it goes back to those, um, to those stereotypes that, um, that, you know, men have to be, have to be fixers and you, you can't cry and, um, and all that stuff. So, um, that was a big takeaway for me was just hearing her. And, you know, I, I hope she talked to her husband about that and said, Hey, I, do, I don't need you to fix this. I literally need you to sit here and have a bowl of ice cream. Mm -hmm. with me, and that, that's what I need from you right now. So being aware of what your partner needs was big. Um, and something else big from us that we got from those things is creating traditions, I think is something, you know, not a lot of people mm -hmm. talk about. So, we create traditions of um, we would go to the beach or the mountains, you know, after we had a hard month, we would take a month or two off from IVF treatment and we would go and do a vacation. This was kind of our, our space to, to regroup. So that was always something we did. And then um, Italian dinners became a tradition for us. So we would do um, an Italian dinner when something was positive or we got through another test or there was a big whatever happening in our journey. And it was like, you know what, we got through this, let's celebrate where we are. Even if it wasn't successful, we've made it through this. We're so strong as a couple, we're doing everything we can. Um, so this is something to, you know, trigger some success in us to celebrate what we're doing to get to this point. So we created traditions of like a, a big Italian dinner that we would cook on a Friday night, you know, after we got through another egg retrieval or another round of this that we were nervous about. So that's something we took from some of those support groups and, um, just being able to talk about it, man. If you just find find someone to talk about it. For me, it was finding one or two friends that I went through it. You know, I have a group of friends and people try and relate, but if they haven't gone through it, it's hard. And I don't blame people. Everyone means well, but you know, sometimes their advice can be misguided. Um, so just finding a few people that went through it, and just for for me personally, you know, I don't have to have a big conversation with people all the time. Just being able to text someone after getting a bad update and just send a couple curse words and just being angry about something and sending it to someone that's been there and being like, I cannot believe that this didn't work or whatever it is was always a, a relief for me. So finding your person or your people is just super important that you can be comfortable with to, to let the emotion out and move forward. Um, huge part there is letting the emotion out. So do you guys experienced uh, failed rounds of IVF, IUIs, yep. obviously all the, all the, various um in the early stages the negative tests and everything um what was something that you did to let that emotion and anger out um yourself and maybe something that your wife did um to cope with that grief in those moments 
Yeah. So for me, it always came back to going and getting, getting around the golf and I mean, getting out there and just being separate from it all, forget about it for a little bit, um, was always big for me. And, and those trips together, again, going back to those trips, there was always just a way after disappointment for us to, to get away from it all. Um, you know, I'm not the type that's going to go and have to hit a, hit a punching bag. I mean, I'll go and get a good workout in some of the best runs and workouts I've ever had in my life for after some of these negative, um, negative responses, just go and just run and let the anger out. So if that's something that works for you, um, go and do it. But yeah, for us, it was, it was always getting away from our house and our situation for a little bit to kind of let that anger out, um, and reset. And then, yeah, for me personally, um, it was, it was golfing, doing anything to get, away from the situation and let my mind forget about it for a little bit and then come back with a new spirit about it all. And then it, it became right in the book too. So, you know, journaling, meditation, things work for people. That acupuncture I mentioned earlier was amazing, but um, yeah, I was never a journaler. You know, I you know people say, you know, write down how helpful it is. And again, different things, yoga, whatever it is, works for different people. But starting to write that book out became a way for me to, to pour it out and just get my emotions out about it all. Um, and the research helped and seeing that I was the only one going through it and all that stuff really became a way, an outlet for me to get, to get those emotions out. Um, any broken golf clubs? Because, you know, I imagine you're already going out <laughs> upset and angry and stuff. And then you slice or you, you hook yeah. one and stuff like any, any broken clubs as a result? Maybe some thrown clubs. No, none actually broken, but yeah, that's, that would be a disappointing one when you, uh, you know, you build up like, Hey, I'm going, I'm going golfing on Friday. I'm over this. It's Wednesday. We're going out. And then you go out there and you have a horrible round with just, which just kind of adds to it. So maybe if you get a, if you get frustrated and you do break clubs, maybe golf isn't, isn't the best thing for you, but um, yeah, you kind of have to reset and say, Hey, I'm still out here. I'm playing golf. It's a beautiful day. I'm outside walking around, getting some exercise. Like, let's be happy with this. But yes, that's, it's a great point because golf is one of the most frustrating sports. So that is uh, maybe not the best thing to add to your repertoire. <laughs> That's probably why I'm like golf is one of the last sports I've gotten into. And I'm like the last one in my family to get into it. Like I'll go out and play like twice a year and they're usually scrambles. So I don't even have to, I don't have the pressure of doing that well. Cause I got other ringers yeah. on the team. Like if I can chip and I can putt, like that's all I'm worried about. Like, so after, after I drive about the first eight holes, after I drive the first eight and lose eight balls, and I'm like, you guys drive, I'll yeah. I'll I'll sit in the cart and and just well the closer we get to the hole, I'll start stepping in. So it's infuriating. Um, it's an infuriating sport. My brother was a college football player, um, and I, I was into golf before him. He's younger than me, and now he's into golf and stuff. And just, um, you know, he's just so used to being more athletic than me and all this stuff. And it's just hitting this little golf ball will drive you crazy. But it's a sport that gets you outside in nature, walking around different courses, and you can play it as you get older. So it seems to be more and more popular. Yeah. I, I knew I was a really bad golfer when – um, I hit my step quota for the day with uh, my fitness yeah, tracker, my watch, <laughs> even, even though we had a cart. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I'm my dad always, my dad <laughs> always told me when we go golfing, he's like, well, I could tell you what you're doing wrong. You're standing too close to the ball after you hit it. Well, there you so, go. So there you go. Cool. I wasn't hitting very far. Um, so what's next for, for Ryan Smith, the author and, and the Smith family, are you guys, uh, any more eggs or embryos? Are you trying, continuing to, you're going to give Adeline a, a sister or brother? Is that the goal at all? Or, or are you guys 
that five year journey was enough. You're, you got your girl and, and you're happy there. And then is there going to be a follow up to finally? Yeah. So we have, um, we have three more, uh, embryos left. We have one boy and two girls left, um, which is another interesting part with IVF knowing genders and things like that. Um, so yeah, we're, we're in that deciding phase again. Our girl is uh, four months now. So, um, we're give yourself some to- time there. Give yourself some time. My, my, yeah. my boys are, 356 days apart. Give yourself time so you can catch up on sleep. Believe me. It's yeah. Yeah. For real. It's, um, <laughs> it's hard though. I mean, and it's a big, another big theme in the book and a big theme throughout um, IVF and infertility in general and stuff is time, man. Time is ticking. Biological clocks are ticking. True. Regret, all that stuff. Um, it is, it's crazy how quick it goes, especially if you have failed IVF cycles. It is crazy how, you know, you start in January and you turn around, you're eating Thanksgiving dinner and you feel like nothing's changed. You're like, wow, this is mm. insane. So um, it's, it's a, it's something we've talked about. And again, with, with IVF, we're like, okay, if we do want another um, and we wait, you know, we have no guarantee that this is going to work. You know, what, what if we do have to go through another cycle and this, that, and the other? So um, we may be trying right away again. We're probably leaning that way, but um, I, you know, I feel bad for my wife with her, with her physically. So it's a conversation we have to have. And then, yeah, as far as the book, um, it was a great process. You know, I have thrown around the idea of, of, of a finally series. I mean, you can, you can take that in so many different ways. Um, you can do, you know, a parenting book often and stuff like that. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm, I'm pretty busy, so I don't know if I'll have, I'll have time. And again, the book was kind of a passion project. So I think I'd really have to have the passion if we did continue um, continue the finally series. I'd have to find something that I'm super passionate about to be able to put that time, work on it for a year, um, and really make it fair for a reader. I don't want to put something out there that I'm not super into and, and feel like I can give expertise mm-hmm. on. So um, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. You never know. And uh, last question before we get to your, um, your social media contacts and all that. Now that you guys have gone through the process and you have your baby, you have your four month old, what's your favorite part about being a dad? Oh, favorite part about being the dad is probably those wake ups, man. Waking up, waking, waking her up from the nap when she's super happy and that smile. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Just, uh, you know, my wife is still home on maternity leave and I'll be in this office that we're in now and she'll walk in and open the door and, you know, say hi to dad. And just that big smile that comes across her face is, um, <laughs> is, is super crazy and, um, pretty cool. Now that she's four months into the point where she's kind of realizing what's going on around her, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Just the changes week to week and how much it actually happens. I mean, Two weeks ago, she didn't know who the dog was, and now the dog walks by, and she cannot stop laughing when she sees the dog walk <laughs> up and down the stairs. It's like the dog's been here the whole time. What's changed? And it's just amazing to see that development. So it's uh, it's very rewarding, but a lot of work, like you're saying. Just wait until you get the the daddy, and then then the I love yous. Those are oh my oh, gosh, you just yeah, you're 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 happy now. Wait till those start happening. I mean, they're. They're heart melters for sure. So yeah, it's very cool. It's very cool. Um, all right. So uh, where can people find your book and find out uh, more from you and more about you? Yeah, the books on the books on Amazon. Finally, an infertility book for dudes. Um, again, just a great way to to connect with anybody going through this. I, I I tried to write it so that you know, no matter where you are in the stage of this, if you're looking for something to relate to, you know, there's probably a lot of stories that you've experienced the same thing and hopefully get some laughs at it looking back. And then for people that are just starting, hopefully, you know, gain some knowledge about 
what could possibly be ahead and, you know, how to better navigate it. So just hoping to help people um, around it. And so, yeah, it's on Amazon. You can just um, search the name and you should be able to find it. And then uh, Instagram is the best way to follow me. Uh, Ryan Smith underscore infertility underscore author um, is the best way to follow me. I try and, you know, put some content and tips up there as often as I can. And then you can, of course, find um, any other podcasts or conferences I'm a part of um, by just following me on Instagram. So. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Ryan, so much for spending your time with me this morning and uh, for just your being willing to share your story and not not only here, but um, just writing the book and sharing everything that's gone on with you uh, through your social media. Just really appreciate it. Really appreciate what you're doing. Um, for everyone else, obviously, again, Ryan and I, we our stories started out very similar, but we have our families came together in different ways and, you know, perhaps Ryan's family is, is still growing and um, families can be made in, in many different ways. And it doesn't matter how it's made. We are all family here. And just thank you again for being part of the family, the family by heart family. So if you need anything, absolutely reach out to myself, reach out to Ryan and either one of us would be happy to, to lend an ear and give you some direction. So thank you again and make sure you tune in next week. Thank you. Thank you.